Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 137. This episode is with Daniel Guzman, head performance coach for Los Angeles Football Club. Since recording this podcast, I've been really excited to release this one. Um, anyone that knows Daniel, has come across Daniel, maybe follows him on social media, will probably get an idea of the type of guy he is. What a nice guy. Um, unbelievably authentic and really kind with his time as well. This episode, we go into loads of different areas in, in terms of understanding human behaviour. We speak about how we can improve in terms of building relationships with players and coaches. We speak about using social media effectively. I'm sure there's many people out there that spend a lot of time on social media, but we have a little chat about Daniel's social media, sort of the approach that he takes with it and how we can utilize the time that we spend on social media as well. We touch on networking, the importance of networking, but also the different levels of networking as well. And then we speak about other aspects in terms of a board of directors for youth athletes, and we go into detail on that, which is basically a tweet that Daniel put out not so long ago. And then another tweet that he put out was around intentional focus, so we touch on that as well. Now, I've just talked about a couple of tweets he puts out. If you're not following Daniel, you need to go and give him a follow. So go and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Um, He puts out some amazing content. And I said in the episode, he's definitely someone that every time he posts It makes me think, it makes me question things, um, and I really take loads from what he puts out. So go and give him a follow. Um, But I really, really, really enjoyed recording this podcast with him, and I hope you enjoy the content in it as well. Just finally, before we dive into the episode, just want to say a massive thank you to everyone that got in contact from the previous episode, 136, with Elliot Turner, head of sports science at Solihull Moors. Um, loads and loads of people retweeted, shared, reposted on Instagram uh, the episode with with Elliot and loads of people have reached out to say how they enjoyed it. So a big thank you again to Elliot for coming on and giving up his time. Um, but I really, I'm really pleased that people took a lot from it because again, that was another great conversation that I really enjoyed. Obviously working in the National League, um, it's a different circumstance to speaking to coaches that are in the Premier League. But I, I knew that people would take loads from it and be, be able to relate to it. So a big thank you to everyone that reached out. And just final, finally, before we get into it, if you haven't done so already, please head over to iTunes and leave us an iTunes review. The next few people to do so, drop us a screenshot of the review to mail at footballfitfed.com and we'll send you over a free copy of one of our ebooks as a thank you for doing that. So just send a screenshot, screenshot the review, send it to mail at footballfitfed.com and we will send you over a free ebook as a thank you. But now we will dive into the episode with Daniel Guzman. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today Daniel Guzman. Daniel, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Ben. It's amazing to get you on, mate. I've just said to you, it's someone, you're someone that I've wanted to get on for a long time. Um, yeah, and I appreciate you giving up your time and coming on to the podcast. Yeah, no, I'm glad. Hopefully we can both enjoy some good weather during the podcast, right? <laughs> we are currently batting, battling in the UK, I've just said, uh, through a storm. So I'm hoping the signal holds up okay. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. The sun has just come out in some weird scenario, but yeah, hopefully it'll be okay. Um 
But I haven't said, Daniel, I'm sure a lot of people have, have seen some of your work, possibly follow you on social media. Um, you are head performance coach at Los Angeles Football Club. Um, but do you want to just take us through your story, your career so far, where you've been, the jobs you've had, and what's led you up to your current role? Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, thanks for having me on. You put out great content. So I'm excited. It's fun for me to be here. So my journey to get to LAFC started when I worked for Athletes Performance, which is now Exos. And when I first was working there, I was working with a range of different athletes, but there was this two, uh, this second division team, the Galaxy 2, that was kind of starting out in their infancy and they needed a performance coach. And so I was right there to raise my hand right away. I might have even been an intern at the point. So for a few weeks, I just said, hey, for free, I'll do anything. I don't care. Uh, my passion to work with footballers. So I kind of started there and some opportunities worked quickly to get to the Galaxy, which is across town. Uh, after three years of that, went to the U.S. national team and kind of got the international experience, which was a lot more of a managing role than so much of a, uh, you know, day in, day out fitness performance role. So it was good to test me in those ways. And then Los Angeles Football Club, again, another brand new club that was just starting uh, they had kind of done the back end work, but the team was starting in 2018. And from there, jumped on board and been enjoying the ride ever since. So that's how I've gotten to where I am today. Amazing. You mentioned obviously working with the national team, more of a management role. What do you mean by that in terms of um, the difference from sort of day to day working at a club like you're at now? Yeah, when you're in a club, you're in almost every single day and it's probably 11 months out of the year. And so you kind of get that time to, uh, if you want, slowly work with that player, build that relationship every day, work with a, you know, a range of players. But every single day you're getting that constant interaction to progress a plan you're on or progress your relationship. And with a national team, you could have one camp that has 30 or so players. And then you wait a few months and the next camp you have 50% of those players return and 50% are brand new. So you're kind of constantly trying to maintain this network around the world. And for me, it was with the U.S. So all these different Americans or uh, potential candidates to play in the team, we had to kind of keep track of them and build relationships really, really quickly. Sometimes you only had a week and it just happened with injuries or with citizenship or something. We're going to bring in a new player and save a week to kind of build that relationship, uh, which is pretty difficult. I don't think you can be to be really into a deep, meaningful relationship within a week. But uh, there are some strategies we try to use to, to get to that point. But players are constantly moving around. So I felt more like uh, my role was not to say, Ben, your player's coming in and run them on my program. It was to say, okay, what are you doing as a practitioner? Because at home, at the club, that's really where they're getting all their, their load, their, their uh, stuff they're comfortable with with you as a practitioner. So my job is just to kind of let that keep running along. So when they come to me, whether we're going South America or somewhere in North America, wherever we're at, how can I just keep those programs running? And so began this kind of complex nature of running a hundred different programs. And uh, I realized really early on, I cannot run a hundred different programs at once. <laughs> so I would, I would just ask all the club coaches, Hey, tell me a few things in the gym that's important to you that we can get. I'll make sure they get those in. And then in the field, here's what our training looks like what's missing that you normally do in your training session. That way we don't just have these dips in load or, or maybe your team's not a very high speed running team and we are at the national team or vice versa. And so those things had to be figured out pretty quickly. That way 
players weren't being sitting back in a, a horrible space and then the clubs were all frustrated. So I thought it was more of my role to be a manager rather than to be directing things day in, day out. Yeah, it's interesting because one thing we're going to talk about is human behavior. And I suppose relationships is a big part of that and how do you, how you build relationships with players. But I suppose in that instance as well, being because we've obviously had Steve Tashton on the on the podcast and he spoke a little bit about um, his role and what he does with the with the national team. Um, but I suppose in that circumstance, it's it's the relationship with the coaches at the club teams and it's probably equally as important as with the players, isn't it? Because if you don't have that in place, you don't you can't have those conversations to bounce those ideas or tap into their program to make the most out of the time the players spend with you. Yeah, exactly. It's that same way. I mean, as you know, we on the national team, we've got our head manager, assistant coaches, a goalkeeper coach, myself, we have a medical staff. And so you're trying to find your different pinpoints of, okay, at this club, I know this guy really well. And so let me be the one to kind of bridge that conversation and try and get an honest review of where he's at. Whereas it could be at a whole other club where I've never met anyone, but our medical staff uh, might know someone there. And so we try and work those different ways. But you're right, you're trying to read uh, at each club where they're at, what, what information they want to give. Because sometimes when it's what I found between a national team and a club team is that uh, the truth is a club can feel sort of threatened that you're trying to do all this new stuff for their player or your sole focus is, okay, national team, we have to win uh, these, these tournaments and we've got to get in the World Cup, so it's important. And I think there's just got to be a sense of shared responsibility and, uh, yeah, the practitioners themselves have to build trust a little bit as well because you got to think, okay, if I take them on the national team and I get them injured or, or I take them out of a good space of load that – you feels really good for them. Well, then when they go back to your club, they're not going to perform and vice versa, the club, if they're not performing, they're coming to us. So uh, I think if you can kind of humble yourself and just say, Hey, I don't own the player. You don't own the player. Uh, let's just focus on what's best for them. Let's put them in the center. That's what really works out best. And then you're right. Uh, getting involved with the coaches. That's really, really important. They just want to know, are you going to keep my players safe so I can get them back on the weekend for a season game? And that's what you're going to have to give them the, uh, the trust in yourself that you'll get into that point. And I suppose in your role now, that's really, it, it's, it will benefit you that you can understand that other side. So when coaches from national teams are getting in contact with yourself, you're obviously understanding their position a little bit more and you, I suppose, understanding what information will benefit them as well. Yeah, of course. We got players going all across the world, especially being with a, a bigger name club. So it's been really cool to be on the other side and I can kind of tell these performance coaches, I've been exactly where you are. I know how bad you need these points. Uh, so we have to try and find a way to work together. Here's what our player does really well. And here's the behaviors of, of your club that you guys really like to push. How can we kind of bridge that gap? And if we marry those together, the player will feel really well taken care of. So it's definitely a lot more phone calls. So from the national team standpoint, when I was in that role or whoever's in that role now, you're on the phone all the time or sending emails or anything you can do to get in contact with uh, those coaches. The players is a whole other story because phone calls and emails don't always work. It's usually <laughs> you know, like Instagram DMs yeah. or uh, like I'll create a TikTok just to send them a note, anything to get interaction with some of these players. Um, and that's how you have to go about it. But yeah, it's it's been good being on both sides. That way I can kind of bridge that gap and at least our players feel really comfortable when they go to the national team, because I can say, Hey, I, I've talked to this coach. I know exactly what they're going for. And instead of worrying about all this stuff you do here, 
let's just focus on these three things. If we can get those three things right, you're going to be in a good spot. And it simplifies the approach, I think, for both sides. Yeah, 100%. And then you mentioned before about the approach you take with um, or took even when you were in that role. Um, obviously, for a short period, you found some strategies that potentially work to not obviously not create relationships as well as when you're seeing someone every day, but maybe allowed you to be a little bit more impactful with that player. So it'd be great to get you to speak about maybe some of those things that you did in that situation, but then also what you do now with more time being spent with players, understanding the behaviors of each of the players and all the different personalities that are in the squad. Yeah. So the strategies I always like to tell people that I've realized now is that a lot of them are from university, but they're not from the classroom. They're from hanging out with your boys and inside the dorms, whatever it may be. So the strategies are also for me, uh, playing cards, playing any sort of, uh, app it doesn't matter what game it is on uh iphone tablet i'll learn how to play it uh social media those are the things that guys want to connect with and although the science stuff that we learn at university is really important the research of engagement and all that kind of stuff uh, i've just found that playing games is personally what works for me i enjoy playing games i'm competitive and a lot of our players do too and um, we're not they're not just playing football there's other things they want to do so uh there's a for example, on the road, there's a group of guys that love to play a certain card game. And there's actually three different groups of it. So I try and bounce in every one, but learn that game as soon as I could. Uh, just a lot of fun interacting because, you know, you're playing cards, but in between a round, for example, you're just chatting about yeah. life, family, football, whatever it may be. And those are the moments where you're connecting, where you can be vulnerable to the guy and say, hey, actually, I've been there or I've made that mistake plenty of times. And you're, you're more just hanging out there. There's way less pressure there. So maybe that uh, it may be a card game Uno we're playing on our phones because you're on the bus and we have to be split up, whatever it may be. Uh, so if you want to real quick talk about in COVID when we had to be separate and we're on these trips and you're in your own rooms, well, we can't play cards anymore. So the first thing I realized is we got to find a game on the phone to keep guys connected. Otherwise, we've just come from three or four months in lockdown where no one's gathering with each other. People are actually not FaceTiming as much as they think. As coaches and practitioners, we were on Zoom way too much. We were, do, we were getting Zoom fatigue, but now we're all Zoom experts, so it's good. <laughs> but with the players, I figured we had to find a way to, to just play, have fun, because they kind of get this interaction on the field, but when they leave, they're normally together, and now they're not. So for me, it's games, cards, chess, uh, whatever. There's a, a fruit slicing game, I guess, uh, that my kids were playing. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's play that too. Whatever it takes and compete, uh, that's what we do, so – Different nice. strategies, like I said, from university, but not in the classroom. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's a great bit of advice as well, because you see that on, on coaches. I'm sure many practitioners will relate to something that players are doing when they're traveling um, and getting involved. Like you said, it, you sort of drop in the guard down, aren't they, when they're in that situation? They're probably having chats that they wouldn't have like in a gym or out on the training pitch. It's just guards down, just being, being human with each other. Yeah, no, of course. And I'm sure as you know, as well, we get a lot of those performance coaches, we get those conversations a lot. Uh, and then we want to talk about the rehab side when it's one on one. Those conversations are kind of on hyperdrive, you're always getting those and you can really build a relationship because you're in it with the guy day in and day out. Uh, but on some of these road trips, or uh, especially during COVID, you got to find other ways to engage the whole team, bring guys together in group chats, 
that's uh, I think that's an important part that hopefully people took advantage of last year. And I was going to ask as well, not to put a sort of negative on things, but where do you think we fall down in in strength conditioning, sports science, in terms of understanding human behavior? Like where where is it you think we could probably get better? Yeah, uh, I think I can speak to this because I fall down all the time. So I can just tell you kind of some of the mistakes that I've made in the past. And I've had good people in my life that have kind of taught me, uh, here's how to try and stay in the path that's really going to lead you the right way. One thing was more uh, for my own father, no matter what industry you work in, I know we think in the SNCs, everybody, if you mention someone's name, there's always something negative that comes with them, a coach or he's over here at Bristol or he's at LAFC or he's at New York City FC. And it's like, oh, yeah, but this guy does this. And I just think, you know, taking out the negative talk, especially if you've never met that person before, can go a long way. We cannot control every industry in the world. But I think people always want to one-up each other and they want to promote themselves and say, oh, yeah, this guy does this, but, but I do this. Or they find a sneaky way to say that. And I think you just got to remember, you know, all, all the issues and problems you go on a daily basis, all these coaches are dealing with it. All these performance coaches are dealing with, you know, in-work conflicts and out-of-work conflicts and players going to national teams. And so you just kind of kind of humble yourself and say, hey, I've been there. Uh, let's just try and find a way to make this a little easier or let's connect the dots. Or if I really disconnect with this one person, can I communicate more with them? Get them on the phone. Because just like we're just talking with players, you know, trying to let that guard down, sometimes that's all it is. It's that you got two performance coaches that are just button heads. And it's like, number one, you know, I bet if we went on and had a beer or had a drink and some food, that would immediately come down. Yeah. But we try and promote ourselves so that our athletes think, oh, we're better than the national team. But the national team thinks, you know, we're better than them. And it's just, you know, let's just drop that off. So that's just on the coaching side. I think on the um, player side, working with players, uh, yeah, one big thing that I had to learn the hard way is that I mean, number one, paralysis by analysis. That's probably my, my biggest fears because I never want to lead an athlete in the wrong direction. And so you start reading these research papers and you're like, oh my gosh, this paper is saying that these athletes are doing three by 10 Nordics every single week. And my athletes only do two by three. They're only doing six reps. What am I going to do? And then you realize, okay, that's, uh, that's more of a different athlete, right? That might be AFL or rugby. And so they can tolerate some of those loads and they're, you know, what their game demands might be different than ours. So stuff like that, right. I just had to calm myself down and say, okay, what practically is happening, not just in this sport, but within our team. Okay. Within our team, we've got some experience with Nordics, so we can do some. And here's kind of the volume that we've found that gets the benefit, but then guys don't feel like they're, they're really overreaching every week. And so they're always sore, whatever it may be. And so we find a balance there. And I think taking that approach across everything we do. So for me, it's, uh, obviously pre-training prep, the warm-up, maybe a conditioning drill that's specific to the team and the way that we play, the strength work, and then something in recovery. How can I take those things and break down and say, okay, here's what the research says, here's what actually works in our setting, and then we're going to try and find a good merriment between there. And the last thing there in the research is I think when we talk to each other, we like to discuss these papers that we read and these people do such good work. But we got to be careful when we relay that information to the players because the players get their info from social media and news outlets saying certain things. And if we're just giving them headlines, like some people read, and we don't talk about the methods, and those are really the important parts of what's going on, 
we'll do a disservice to them because they're just going to think for the rest of their career, okay, I can never do this exercise because they said that causes low back pain. So I'm never going to do crunches any, anymore at all, right? Well, we want to learn how to teach and organize our spine and different movements because that's what the field demands and stuff like that. But if we just hear no crunches ever, okay, well, they're going to be afraid or they're not going to experience all these different things that we can do. So I think it's really important not to give headlines to our players. And if you want to talk about some of those papers and what's going on to get a little bit deeper with them. I think that's a great point. Uh, I think as well, just going back a little bit when you were talking about <clears throat> a paralysis by analysis, that every coach is going to have suffered that at some point. And they like you say, seeing, seeing little snapshots of what other coaches are doing, thinking, oh my God, I need to do that tomorrow. Uh, we need to get my players doing that. But at that point, I was going to try and tie in networking here as well. Um, and I'm guessing you've got a sort of maybe one, two, three coaches you can sort of go to and maybe fire a question at or get their opinion on. And this is where networking is so important, isn't it? To create your network that if you do find yourself in that sort of state of being like, oh my God, what do I do? Do I do this? Do I not do this? Where does it fit onto my program? Having that person or a few coaches or people to turn to and have an open discussion with is so important, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think on that networking side, Number one, networking sometimes gets a really bad rap. And I, I understand why it can, because some people think it comes off as insincere or I'm just making relationships just to make it. And I think there's got to be two different mindsets of networking. The first one is uh, the amount of people that you connect with. Not that you know on a really deep level and you know their life story, but just a, a group of people that you connect with. Because like you said, at some point, you know, maybe you and your family come to America and I know this isn't true, but the only person you know is me. And so like, okay, I don't know Daniel really, really well, but I met him that one time and maybe I can reach out to him and say, Hey, can you help me with this? Or you can put me in contact. Uh, and I think there's that type of networking where you're in that one scenario and you can just literally say, mate, I only know you as this one person in this part of the world. Can you help me out and give me some insights? And then there's a networking where you say, okay, this person uh, maybe is where I want, I aspire to be or it's someone that I really respect how they've dealt with these situations. I want to get to know them better if they're open to kind of building that relationship. And so there's two different points. And I think the first thing is to not downplay the value of the amount of people, although probably the, you know, the quality of that relationship is what's the most important thing. So I think that's an important one. And kind of like you said, finding people that have been in certain situations that, uh, you maybe can give them value or you can receive value back, whatever it may be. There's, there's a mutual uh, benefit there. Uh, that stuff's really important. I've got a few people like that in my life that are not just in football, but are in other sports or in other industries that have really been good go-tos for me in certain situations where I say, man, we've been in this slump or, you know, sometimes an athlete gets injured and you feel personally responsible. And so that really is really hurting how you periodize and you're being way too safe and you got to get someone, you got to get out of your own head and step away and say, okay, what have you done in this scenario? How can I kind of get back into it? Or here's what I'm struggling with. I think that's really important. Yeah, that's a great point actually, because we've, we've spoke about levels of networking before, but I love the way you've summed that up because it is really important, isn't it? To have the big network, like you say, that you could reach out and, and you, you sort of know of people and, and be aware of what's going on and what who's at what club and all that sort of stuff but then you're right like that close circle that everyone's probably got in different ways shapes or form that that's 
um, the important side, isn't it? They're the ones that you can have those deep discussions with. And at those times as well, like we spoke about, when you're overanalyzing things, when you're probably confusing yourself a little bit, that's the time that you can turn to that group of or, or person and have that conversation that maybe just gets your head back in the right place. Yeah, of course. And on that same point, you know, even the person that you're close with, they might not have the answer, but then they might have a network and they say, hey, I know this guy, you don't know him but I can connect with him or, or this woman over here. She does really, really great work. I think you guys could connect together. For me, that's actually my favorite part is when I can meet with someone and say, hey, actually, I can connect you with this person. And so now we have a little triangle relationship here and just making different connections. I think that's, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a gift or a passion or what, but I just find a lot of joy in connecting other people, especially coaches when I just say, hey, look, I don't know the answer. I don't want to have all the answers, but you can connect with this guy in Australia. They do really good work there. I know he'd be glad to help you. And then you just start making those connections there. And I think yeah. that network word becomes more of a community because sometimes network, I, like I said, people don't really like the word network all the time right now, although I think it's really important. But if you can make kind of this performance culture a community, and then we want to talk about bridging medical and performance, which I actually think is one thing. It's all about the performance of the athlete but we have this even greater community. And so it's a community where people are lifting each other up and making connections rather than saying, oh, he's no good at this or she struggles over here. Uh, for me, that's just kind of something that I keep on pushing forward is that community aspect across any sport, that industry, that's going to go a lot longer for all of us. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing I was going to touch on from what you spoke about before was when you were talking about um, speaking to the player and not giving player just headlines is the fact that giving that player the confidence that you're the person to go to to explain what it is maybe they've come across or so thinking out loud in terms of some of the things that have come across in the in the Premier League in the last few years is like players not lifting weights because they don't lift, they don't lift weights on the pitch and all that sort of stuff that's come out but not necessarily just that but in that circumstance you having the relationship with the player that the player can turn around to you and go well this is the headline what does it mean and what does it mean for me as a player? Do I do I do that or do I not? And it, I suppose this ties in with what we spoke about at the start, doesn't it, in terms of the relationship and understanding the behaviour of the player? Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, the headline around that's going around the news or maybe it's a new Netflix documentary. I don't know what it is, but as you know, there's always something new or there's something that's different than what they're doing. And the first thing that I always ask the athlete is, you know, what is the purpose of what you're seeking right now? Is it obviously you're excited by this new nutrition plan or you're excited to buy, you know, one of my favorite teams and my favorite players, they don't lift weights. So why am I lifting weights? And so I just kind of bring them back and say, okay, what's your goal here? Like, what do you want to achieve? And for the most part, they say, you know, I want to be fit. I want to be the best player in this position. I want to, you know, they have these goals. And so I bring, I bring them back to that why moment, which I know is really cliche, but bring them back to that why and say, okay, let's work from there. Okay, this diet might be really good for you. It might not. But let's mm -hmm. see, okay, if we go into here and, you know, you're going no carb at all. Okay, well, carbs are important. They feel you to do kind of the job you need to do. So maybe we can find something different. Okay, what's really happening here, right, is that you're just eating way too many sweets and you want to feel healthier. Okay, we can work on that. But I think the headline is kind of a opening a door into what they really want. And they're literally just grabbing and saying, okay, I need to be better. or I don't feel like I'm at my best. I was really good last year, but this year I don't feel so good. Maybe this headline will help me get there. And so that's what we're trying to figure out. And it takes a lot more time to ask those questions. Um, 
I don't think it takes a lot more effort. You just ask a question and then you just sit back and listen. Yeah. And you kind of enjoy some silence. And before you know it, they'll just be talking. 35 minutes straight while you're rolling out, you're like, man, I've been rolling out my glute forever, but this athlete's <laughs> talking to me. So, okay, we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, and then you kind of build from there. But I think if you just ask the athletes a few important questions, why do you want to do this? What are you really trying to achieve? They'll just talk for hours and hours if you let them, which is great. And then you can kind of start to fill it out there and solve the problem. Because they're educating themselves in a way, aren't they? By answering the questions, like all you're doing is just guiding the conversation. You're not, you're not becoming, um, I can't think of the word, but you're not like imposing too much on them and saying, this yeah. is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. They're just talking yeah. through about like, it, you're just sort of diverting it, aren't you? Diverting the, the conversation. Yeah, which is also really helpful if you don't know the answer, but you don't want to stop it right there. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's something where I'm like, look, I don't know. Well, let's try to ask some questions so we can figure out what is the main point. Oh, this is what you want. Okay, I'm sending you to Ben right now. And now we're connecting athlete with another practitioner when it's appropriate. Uh, but I think that part's important too. Just trying to figure, okay, what are we trying to get to? That way, you don't just send them off somewhere, and they're still at you know level one of what they're trying to solve. Yeah, you trying to work through them there. Definitely. Just a very quick update on our online community. So for anyone that's a new listener of the podcast who hasn't seen anything about our online platform, if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there, you will get one month free on our online community. We've got a number of webinars, presentations, member discounts. We've got a forum on there. And we've loads of great conversations. And we've just uploaded a brand new webinar from Val Performance. The sports scientist at Vald is Nick Adkin, and he's done a great presentation, a great webinar for us around all the um, systems and implementation of those systems at Vald. He goes into detail on the Norboard, the Forstex, Forceframe, and all the different aspects of, of Vald's business um, and breaks it down for our members as well. So you can go and check that one out. We've also got loads of other webinars we've uploaded recently. We're going to be putting some great ones out in the next few weeks as well. So if you're already a member, make sure you log in and check out some of the latest webinars. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top, sign up there and you will get one month free. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. You also get a discount at a number of different places. A few of our partners, including Physique Management, Soccer Supplement, Pulse Roll, David Gray Rehab, along with a number of others as well. So go and take advantage of that. So if you're not already a member, head over there and claim your free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Daniel Guzman. Now, there's not many social media accounts that I follow that really make me think and sort of stop and take note when as soon as something's posted. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, but yours is definitely one of them, especially on Twitter. Um, some of the some of the tweets, honestly, I, I find myself scrolling through, and then when I see your tweets, I'm like, right, I've got to read this, and I've got to focus when I'm reading it because I think the stuff you put out is great, but I think I think it just gets people thinking. Um, and there's some I'm going to pull up some of the um, sort of uh, tweets that you put out recently, and we'll dive into them a little bit. But just before I do. I was going to ask about using social media effectively because, and I, and I don't know whether uh, this is something that you do, whether you just put out great stuff and you, and you struggle with the balance like everyone in terms of making sure you, you're taking things from it and not just watching all the crap on social media. But what's your views on that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that waste a lot of time 
on social media, um, not taking too much from it, or when they're posting stuff, it's not it's not as probably as powerful as it could be. But um, I thought it'd be great to sort of delve into this with yourself. Yeah, I'll start by saying that I think social media is still at this point undervalued, underappreciated. I think it's really misunderstood by a lot of people. Uh, at the same point, I do think it is abused and it is kind of gone after in the wrong way still. So you have to acknowledge that point. But I was for sure one of the people in the beginning that, you know, started a Twitter when I got out of college and I had no idea. I was like, what, what am I going to talk about? And what's the point of this? But I, there was so much information and I was like, okay, this gives me all this info right away. I don't have to wait for the news to come on. Right. If I don't have time for that, I can set these little alerts. And it was more of me understanding information and honestly having fun with my friends saying, I want to tweet this out. And then you realize, okay, at some point I'm going to get into a professional job, which happened pretty quick for me. And the things that I say can affect other people. Okay. So now I'm like in fear mode. I don't want to post anything unless it's of, of this. And, you know, again, paralysis by analysis. And I just got to a point where I thought about in any, anything in my life, what is the purpose of me doing that thing? Especially now that I have kids, uh, they are everything to me. And so I don't want to waste time, like you said. And when it came to social media, I thought, I want to have a social media account that gives value to other people. So the words that I say truly mean something. And whatever's coming out of my mouth is actually how I feel. And at the same point, I don't want to be afraid to post something because of a negative review or people disagreeing, or whatever it may be, or someone that I look up to, maybe they read it and they think, oh, he's not that smart. And I just thought, you know, the purpose is to provide value. So if I, if I believe in it and I think it's honest and I think there's going to be value for some coach out there, that's what I'm going to post about. And that's what I've tried to make my Twitter about over the past few years. Uh, the past few months I've taken a break because of some family stuff, but that's what I really want to make it about. So that if an athlete, uh, a coach, my mom, you know, there's consistency in that. And so when I tweet something, people either a have to think a little bit about, okay, you know, why is he saying that from the place that he's at? Or yeah, okay, that kind of helps me bring me back down. And remember like, okay, I'm just dealing with people here. You know, it's just a person. This isn't research subject number 12. This is a person with a first and last name and a family and beliefs and all that kind of thing. And so I want to help lead them somewhere or it's a brand new coach. And I remember what that was like being so afraid to even ask a question on Twitter because everyone's going to critique it which is why I always tell people, if you're afraid to ask me a question on, you know, DM me, whatever it may be, I'll do my best to try and answer it. But it was honestly from a place to say, how can I provide the most value and help people who have been in my position or even for myself, when I ask a question to somebody, I'd like the same uh, kind of position to be reciprocated. And if it's not, I can't control them, but I'm not going to live in fear anymore. I'm just going to post what I want to post as long as it's appropriate uh, for me and for the club that I represent. And then we're going to go from there. Yeah, and I think that's something that I massively take away from from your Twitter is it definitely gets me thinking all the time, but in a really good way, like sort of thinking about um, how we do things, why we do things. And I think they're the import, that's what social media should be about, is not just agreeing with everyone, but also putting things out to get people thinking. I think the hard thing, and it'd be interesting to get your view on this, is when conversations come up and they're not so much a conversation, it's more people trying to push their opinion and I, I it's very tough on social media because we're limited on characters and all that sort of stuff 
But how do you find that when you're getting more of a conversation that might be turning more into possibly an argument on something or a disagreement? Is that something you've experienced? And also, how have you sort of dealt with that? I've experienced it. I think my route is that I tend to back off a little bit. Uh, what I tell myself is when I see a situation heating it up, especially on social media, is be slow to speak, in this case, to type, but basically slow to respond. Uh, be quick to listen. So don't feel the need, oh, they didn't respond in the past 35 minutes. Be really quick to listen and see what are they trying to say here. And like you said, sometimes it's just they're going to push their own agenda. And so at that point, you say, okay, if, if that's what I think it is, hey, I'd be glad to talk more offline. Uh, I don't agree. But obviously, there's a bunch of people, uh, or maybe it's not a lot of people, but there's someone, even if it's one person, watching to see how do you respond to that. And the last thing you want to do is let your emotions take head and say, oh, you're making me look bad from all these people. No, you're not. This is your, in, in your own head. Okay, I'm having a conversation, a disagreement with someone. Probably best to have this offline or be more beneficial. Or let's make it a live Zoom chat, something like that. If you really want to interact and talk through it, uh, for me, my goal is to provide value. And getting into arguments is not going to provide value. But if someone believes that they know the answer so well, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Maybe they know everything. They know all the answers. But the people that I also want to interact with are people that are open to learning and to figure out new things. So I think at some point uh, you have to quickly realize the conversation is not going to be valuable moving forward in this setting. Because like you said, there are limits to this communication where right now you and I can just talk freely. Mm -hmm. So when that's the case, don't feel like you need to defend your honor or defend whatever it may be. Or if they take it to a, a step far. You know, if they get a jab in, let them have the jab. They get two in, honestly, do like do not respond. Let them keep jabbing. And then you just got to either talk offline or just say, okay, that's it. You don't have to block them. You can if you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to say, oh, forget that person. Again, you don't know what they're – they might have gone through something horrible that day and they just happened to unload onto you on social media, which isn't right. Mm -hmm. But they're going to do that. And you just got to say – my like I used to think my whole life is going to be determined based on how I respond or letting this person come after me. I've got to defend myself. I'm telling you, you do not have to defend yourself. No. Just let it be, let it cool off. And usually that, that fixes a lot of things. Great advice. Really, really good advice. And I think as well, if people are truly um, getting involved in the conversation to um, and, and we can disagree, can't we? Like, it's not a bad thing to disagree with someone. But if they if they do sincerely want a conversation, they will do exactly what you said. They'll either pick the phone up, they'll come onto a Zoom call. And I know coaches that have done it, and it's great because it, that opens up conversations and gets them questioning things. But in a in a way that's like, if we disagreed on something now, it would be a lot easier to have a conversation about it than it would on Twitter. Um, and it might seem that I'm being aggressive with a tweet or something like that, whereas... I think it's very important to get into those discussions about things because it improves what we do. But at the same time, I think you're dead right. I think if someone's trying to push their agenda or they won't agree to having a conversation, it is time just to back off and step away. Yeah, I think that's got to be the path to go. I think it's definitely not easy, especially if someone's coming on really hard. But just take a step back. It's not the end of the world. You know, breathe a little bit, figure out why am I in this conversation in the first place? How did I get down this rabbit hole? And if someone that you look up to or even a buddy gets involved in that, you know, you don't have to go to bat for them on social media. Just give them a call and say, hey, you know, I've, I've had a buddy do this. They're like, just step away. 
Like there's, mm-hmm. there's no reason to do that. And I think that's valuable too, is like we talk about community, giving someone a call or a text and saying, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I saw us on social media. Just let it go, man. Like, yeah. it's not worth it. Like we'll move forward. The whole point of your original tweet was this. If that got misunderstood, which is a whole other point, apologize and say, okay, I, I did not mean to take it that way. I'm, I'm sorry. I messed up. Very few people in the world want to admit they're wrong when they're on social media because they feel like everyone's looking. It's one of the best things you can do is say, yeah, I messed up. I was wrong. Let's move forward. Yeah. And it's where you get the most respect in it. When I've seen people do that, you think fair play, like they're obviously someone that's open-minded and willing to grow and progress as a practitioner. You don't think, oh, they don't know everything because we don't. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what goes on your head sometimes. You just start worrying and worrying. Yeah. But it's like, you know, don't live in the high and the low of, I've got all these followers. I've got all these haters. Just live in between. Live yeah. right in between where it's like, here's my value. I'm going to be focused on that. And if one person follows me, great. Cause I'm not, I'm not tweeting for all this. You know, it's for myself to have a notebook of here's what my thoughts were when I was this age. And when I was working through these things and I can look back on that, it's just a journal. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm going to bring up one of your tweets now. Um, this cool. was a really thought provoking one for me because you tweeted saying youth athletes would benefit from a, p- a performance board of directors a group of trusted professionals who can guide and coach them in certain disciplines, nutrition, strength, speed, finding the right fit is key. I think that's great. Like it's having that sort of board of directors is probably something that a lot of athletes are maybe edging towards without thinking of it like that, having that support team, isn't it? And is that what you meant by it? Yeah. I I honestly thought back when I was a kid and I was just, playing sports, American football, football, baseball, basketball, whatever it was, I had these coaches, right? They were on the board of directors. And so if I was at this kind of night's round table, there was the coaches there. My parents always had a seat. And then there was an incident where I hurt my back. Okay. I went to see this chiropractor. I started seeing this chiropractor every few weeks for the rest of my, my young career. Okay. The chiropractor gets to see the board of directors because I've allowed them into my journey. And then I thought, okay, Uh, I'm not as fit as I want to be. Okay, I've got this performance coach or a fitness coach. And maybe that seat does change a lot until you find one. You say, okay, that's okay. This person has my best interest out. They've taught me a lot. They've got the heart of a teacher. Then there's a massage therapist or there's a psychologist or just a trusted friend. Uh, Maybe it's someone from, for me, it'd be someone from my church that is an elder that I can trust and have conversations with. But what I wasn't thinking when I was that age is that I was building this team around me. But that's what I was trying to do, you know, without thinking about it. And so I'm just thinking about uh, there's a lot of youth athletes that will reach out to me or the parents of the youth youth athletes or sometimes college and professionals that are trying to figure out, okay, what's your best advice and what can I do? And what I really thought about is the best thing you can do is not to say, Daniel, I have all the answers. Everybody come to me. But to say in your setting for what you do or in your little city, can you get a group of people that care about you. You probably don't have them work for you full time because I don't think a lot of youth athletes can, can afford that. But can you pay a few professionals and probably some are unpaid to speak into that part of your life? And so it becomes this council. The same way if we were to start a business, we'd have a board of directors that were specializing in different things because I love to think of the business terms. And when we think that, that way, we think, okay, I've got Ben to educate me in all things fitness and under fitness, a bunch of different things, but I trust Ben. And then when I go to talk about massage therapy, okay, I'm going to go over to this person. And as an athlete, they're going to kind of help me out. I think you could probably say this for a lot of different professions, right? You could be a banker and say, okay, I need to learn about 
world economy and I learned about uh, how to manage debt and all this kind of stuff. But for the youth athlete, I was thinking a lot of people don't have, you know, one of us performance professionals that can kind of guide them in a progressive manner and teach them how to properly overload certain tissues to get to a goal. But it's not just about the performance coach. It's about, you know, a sport coach and all these different things. And so that was the purpose that I wanted people to take away from that is to start thinking about building this team around you so that if you are a youth athlete and you're going to this massive tournament, okay, well, what are my protocols? Or am I just going to show up blind and play a bunch of matches and then I cramping in my calves and I wasn't eating anything or, you know, I watched the latest Netflix, Netflix documentary. So no carbs ever, ever but I'm dying. I, I just can't do it. So that was the whole purpose behind that. No, I think that's great. And I, I think that's what, I think the reason it resonates so much is because I feel like players are possibly looking to this more without thinking about it as being a board of directors and that they probably should. And, and I, I'm the same as you. I always relate things to business businesses and how businesses run and especially athletes because essentially they are a business um yeah. they're, they're, they're a, um that they are their business aren't they so looking into these things and these aspects and these directors that could improve them or have an impact and like you say there's so many factors to it as well it isn't just a case of fitness and nutrition there's loads of other factors that they could go into you could have all sorts of different people like you mentioned chiropractors psychologists yeah. Um, even just family, people like that. There's, there's a lot that goes into that, isn't there? And even on the board of directors, I want to say like, like we're talking about some positions that require a lot of education experience, you know, chiropractor. Uh, I think a quality fitness professional should have a lot of experience as well. But the reason why I also said board of directors is that if you had a business, you wouldn't just be giving those seats out to anyone. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, come on in, join the party. You know, it's not just kind of a, everyone has an opinion. A board of director position is very specific. It's very intentional. You got to make sure they have your best interest at heart. It's not about themselves. It's about you. And so that position's got to really be, I, I think, protected. And so maybe before they get there, yeah, you try out a few of these professionals or a few of these people in my life because you're not going to find the right one right away. But when you find someone that truly has the heart of a teacher, somebody that wants to teach you and educate you, and as an athlete, you can just be thinking, okay, did I learn anything in the past month? If the answer is no, that's not the right person for you. They may be a great person, but that's not the right one. But if you learn something, okay, let's take another step forward. And eventually they get that board of directors seat. You say, I want you in my life for my career moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And we spoke about that before because within a club setting, um, we've talked about like different practitioners being able to build relationships with certain players. We've then spoke about, um, external practitioners and players going to external practitioners because they have that relationship um, with with a coach or practitioner or whoever it is. And I suppose the way I think about it as well is like when you see a boxer walk into the ring and they've got all their entourage behind them, that's essentially what it is, isn't it? That could be a nutritionist, that could be a psychologist, that could be a friend who, who says the right thing at the right time and puts them in the right mindset. Like that's the sort of thing that I imagine is that that they're the people that we're trying to get to help us on the, on the field. Yeah. You know, that's really good uh, way of thinking about it. And when you said that, the first thing that came to my mind is you're walking with your entourage and you have thousands of people who are from the outside looking in, yelling stuff at you, telling you what to do, what you shouldn't be doing, giving all their opinions, but you're just hyper-focused because, you know, I got my team behind me and part of that is shutting out the noise. Mm. You're going to meet a lot of people as an athlete, young athlete, or even the highest level athletes telling you how you should eat, how you should act, how you should, all this kind of stuff. And all you need to do is figure out what do I want to do? 
what are the people in my life speaking into me, my entourage? Because as I walk to that ring, once I'm in the ring, it's just me. It's me and the, and the competitor, right? And if I listen to everyone that's saying, you're horrible, you're weak, you got to do this, you know, it's not going to be a good mindset. So that's a great way to put it. I love that. People probably throwing stuff at you too while you're walking down the tunnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's guard. true, isn't it? Like you say that that's um, it's a, it's an analogy of of a professional, especially if we're taking a professional player in the spotlight, like in the MLS or the Premier League. Like these are people in the spotlight that are going to get these things thrown at them, and they have to have that support around them. I suppose this, this ties quite nicely into the final bit I was going to touch into, and this is reverting back into sort of the club setting a little bit more, is another tweet that you put on that I, I loved was about attention, uh, intentional focus. So it's like where we focus with our players to improve them. Um, and I, I don't know if you could speak on that a little bit in terms of what you meant and what your thoughts were around intentional focus. Yeah, again, thinking you know, whether you're a young coach, you're in kind of your, whatever you want to call it, you have some experience. I kept on thinking, okay, for us as coaches, we are still reading research papers or having conversations or seeing online truly here's something new that this movement is helping this practitioner get this result. And so our focus, at least for me, I'm thinking a bunch of different things all at once. What can I take away? What can I use? Uh, and I thought about, okay, the athletes are doing the same things. The athletes are constantly getting these external views or opinions and, you know, they can say they're focused, but when you have intentional focus and you have one singular goal and you put all your effort towards that goal, it's going to be much more beneficial than focusing on a hundred different things because you might drop the ball on 97 of them. And so as a coach, can I come alongside you and say, okay, here, what's your goals? And they give me 10 different goals. I want to be lean, fast, strong, explosive, Durable, all these kind of things. Okay, that's a lot of things. But of these things, you have a bunch of these. And here's the one thing that's actually going to affect your performance in a positive way. So for the next six-week block, can we have like true intention on this one thing? Okay, so then you have this general view, right? We have intentional focus and we want to get stronger. Great. Okay, well, we're in the session now. Just came off the pitch. We're going to go into the weight room. We're going to get stronger. Okay, here's your main movements. Let's say it's a rear foot elevate split squat. First thing you say to me is, oh, coach, I'm tired. Okay, well, are you tired because you need more time to recover from the session? Or are you saying like, I'm tired because I don't really want to lift the weights today, which does happen quite a, you know, quite a bit. And so then you come back to maybe some hard numbers. You say, okay, here's your goal. Your goal is to get to one times your body weight because we believe on the force plate, it'll produce this result and it'll help positive effect on the field. But last week, you, know, you, you were lifting 60 pounds total. Okay, we want to get a little bit more. So if you're, if you're going to go grab those pink dumbbells that weigh 10 pounds, we're not going to get there. So how can we push in the right ways? And sometimes, yeah, it's not the week to push, but we have an intentional goal. And the only way we're going to get there is by taking this step and this step. Because remember, the goal is strength. And if the goal is strength, you have to apply more load to the tissue. Tissues won't adapt if we're not going to challenge them or overload them from time to time. And so I think that helps bring that back. So when I ask the athlete, hey, what's your intentional focus? Like, oh, good mindset. That's my intentional focus. Okay, everything we do is for you to be in a good mindset right now. Yeah. Okay. You know, we, of course, we don't abandon everything else, but that's what helps with the athletes that I work with. And they have their, I can walk around, what's your focus? What's your focus? And, you know, they can come down. Minus one, what's your focus? Some of them have fun. My goal in the minus mm -hmm. one is to have fun and to enjoy the day. Okay, let's have some fun. Let's figure out a way to do that. So that's helped out a lot with the, the athletes that I work with. 
And that, that helps too, because another thing we talk about a lot is managing individuals within team environments. And that very much does that, doesn't it? Because it makes that sort of personal approach and also gives you something to um, focus on with that player as well. You, you know that he, what each player is trying to work towards. Yeah, no, I think so. Because obviously there's the team goal to win games. Yeah. Or there might be a team goal, you know, we have a midweek match. So how do we recover from Sunday to Wednesday? But then as an individual, your goal might be, you know, you want to feel like it's specific to you. I, I made this mistake way too much when I was younger. It was that, you know, here's the team goal. It's all about the team. Yes, that's important. But you have individuals that care about specific things as well that they want to achieve. And that's okay. So, okay, as long as it's still aligning with the team goal, how can we still get your goal to come into that approach? I try and think of like, uh, like a streams to river. Like you have the team goal, which is the main river but you have streams that we need to connect to those goals and they're all going to the same body of water. But how can we get your stream to connect to the river, which is going to go out to, you know, my geography is not the best, but what body of water is that <laughs> river going to? Right. Yeah. And so that streams the river approach can kind of come into one and kind of keep everyone on the same path. So sorry about all the analogies. I love thinking in these no, ways to put into the best perspective. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And, and it's, again, it's something that we've touched on a lot and, it's a tough thing, isn't it? Because you've got a lot of different individuals within that, that team environment. But I think there's been some great advice um, in this, this podcast for how to manage those different, different people, different personalities, different behaviours of people. Um, if you don't mind, we'll move it on to some of the questions that we have on, on the end of the podcast. Um, I used to call it the quick fire, but I don't like it to be too quick because I think some of these are great to dive into as well. <laughs> so I need to change this section. Great marketing, yeah. great marketing. Just I love it, yeah. At the, end. <laughs> um, the first one, which I, I'm intrigued to hear about, is who were some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Yeah, the first one obviously isn't professional, but I always have to say uh, my father and mother, they kind of gave me the values of no matter what job you do, uh, here's kind of the things I want you to push forward. So for me, that was a work ethic. That was uh, knowing my identity, who I am as a person, because that's ultimately going to help me avoid copying other people and like not being something that I am so authentic to myself. So always my parents. And then uh, as far as professionals, I had performance coach and I was at Exos, uh, Chang Lee, who was really influential because uh, he worked with a lot of baseball players in the MLB and then he worked with a lot of golfers at Exos and then he could basically work with everyone. And I would ask him, how do you get sports specific? I hear this all the time, sports specific. And he would say, I talk to sport coaches and I watch film. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm always like in the weight room or like, how can I get someone faster? But just watch the game or like yeah. you were an athlete, like remember how you did it and try and figure that out from there. So uh, that was an important one. And then, uh, a friend of mine, Scott Peary, who has worked in football leagues all around the world, uh, currently in Turkey at Galatasaray, just his experience of being international in the club setting and the national team setting. He's been in Brazil. He's been in all these crazy places, been in the Premier League. Uh, it's just been a good resource for me to learn different environments. And for him, he would always say, you have to be adaptable. You're going into a new environment and you're going to feel kind of you know, maybe tense or you kind of question yourself. And he's like, I just know who I am. Here's my job. Connect with people and, and get them better. So those are just a few. Amazing. Next one. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Yeah, I would say 
because I know who I am uh, and who I want to be, my biggest strength would probably be connecting with individ individuals uh, in, a, in a positive manner. I am naturally an optimist. And so that can be tough in a team setting sometimes because you don't win every single match. Mm. You don't even, you know, you don't even lose. Sometimes you just tie and you have to figure that out. And so uh, I used to be afraid of my over optimism all the time. Could it be unrealistic to feel disconnected? Um, but I felt kind of that's my value. And that's, that's kind of what God has given to me to use the utility to reach people. Um, I think also understanding that my role is not the most important role in the world. I don't think anyone's role is. Mm. I think it's the utility that you use to connect people, or at least that's what it is for me. If I wasn't doing SNC, I would do something else to connect to people. So the weight room is just a device to get to people to help them get better. And thankfully I have a passion in SNC that I can kind of learn, okay, how do I manipulate these different biomechanical or physiolog physiological properties to help to get to the heart of what that person needs. And I'm more just a servant. How can I help you get to where you want to be and serve you? Brilliant. And then what about um, CPD? So is there anything that stands out for you that you've possibly done recently? Any research that you've read, webinars you've watched, courses you've done? Is there anything that you sort of direct people to and say, you need to go and check this out? You know what? Uh, the CPD I would offer probably doesn't have a lot to do with the technicals of strength and conditioning. Uh, I always tell people like CPD, I think for our profession has got to be about understanding money, finances, uh, understanding debt. I don't think a lot of people understand debt when they come out of university, especially in America, you're just taught to take on debt. And yeah. the best thing that my wife and I ever did was as soon as we got married at a very young age, eliminate all of our debt, try not to live off consumer debt, no student loans. Uh, the mortgage is a whole different one because that's a pretty massive undertaking. But if you can understand how money works, I think some people feel limited by the decisions they make professionally. Oh, I can't go there because it's a little bit of a step down. But if you don't have to worry about your debt as much and you could say, you know what, but, but that performance director is going to get me to where I want to be. Yeah. And so it's not just, you know, we can talk about low pay all we want, but sometimes as a younger coach, you're just saying, you know, if I work with that person, I think they've got a good heart and they can teach me so much. It's not the pay I want to be at, but it might be good for a few years and it might be kind of this roller coaster to where I want to get to. So yeah, there's a lot of good CPD out there. I would just say if you can find stuff that talks about money and finances and people that actually know it, um, that's a whole separate passion of mine that I love to talk about, but that's one. And then I think quality people out there, Jay DeMeo, a friend in the US, has some great content out there. Uh, not just because I'm on your podcast, but I think uh, the Football Fitness Federation has so much good stuff that you can look back from years on. I mean, people that you think that you can never actually meet in person but you've had the opportunity to talk to them and then everyone else can just kind of listen in. Uh, I think it's one of the coolest things about our industry is about how people have these podcasts and kind of live chats. So uh, yeah, I would think find people that you enjoy listening to because if you don't enjoy, you probably won't stick to it, but uh, there's a little CPD for you. Amazing. Great advice as well on the financial side. I think that's, <clears throat> that's something that I think in the, in the UK, I don't know what it's like in the U S so much, but people get a bit scared of speaking about money sometimes. Um, and I think it's important, like you said, if it's influencing our decisions on what jobs we're seeking, if we literally, if it's the first thing that we're looking for, one of the first things we're looking for, if we could remove that or make it not, not as much an issue by managing our money better, 
I think it's a great point. I I, I think that's such such good advice for practitioners um, of at all different stages in the career. Honestly, I just one more point on that. I think that you know podcasts that have a high influence. I think of yours. I think about uh, Rob Pacey's people that connect to a lot of people. I, I think every single year you could do a roundtable for coaches to talk about finances, people that maybe have been there or know what it's like, or someone who's asking questions because so many young coaches, intermediate coaches, advanced coaches, however you want to offer it up. They're always talking about money. How can I make more money? How can I negotiate better? Um, How can I make my money go further? How does money actually work? A lot of people don't know answers to a lot of that stuff. I know I didn't. And so I started really looking into it and say, okay, there's a whole world out here that I don't understand. I think it's just got to be a subject that comes up over and over and over again, because just going on Twitter and saying this club's only offering 10 K for this position that brings awareness, but then everybody says, well, what do I do with that? Yeah. I, like, where do I go? How can I negotiate that more? Or maybe it's non-negotiable or whatnot. I just think it's a topic that can be talked about much, much more. A hundred percent agree. Brilliant. Um, and then the last couple, which would be interesting to get your, your point of view on is, what do you think is one of the most important traits for a coach to have to be really impactful with, with players? I would say one of the most difficult things for me, but I think is very valuable to athletes is vulnerability. If you just give up this front and say, number one, I know everything in the world. And number two, uh, I don't know, there's no issues around here. We can solve everything. It's just not practical. Athletes can read through BS like their BS meters are better than some of the, you know, other industries in the world. So they're just so good at it. So number one, can you be authentic and vulnerable? Can you actually allow people in to say I've been there or uh, the biggest one is I don't know the answer, you know, but maybe I can help get you there. If you can do that, you become more of a real person to them. And people that are trying to put on front sometimes, something that I made the mistake of early on, I got to show them that I know everything. Uh, it's tough. But right away, you know, my first job ever, quick story, when I worked with Robbie Keane, the first thing I said to Robbie Keane was, you've been doing this longer than I've done this as an employee. <laughs> so if there's something that you think I could do better or whatnot, just let me know. That was my first day yeah. on the job. Yeah. And he told me, yeah, I'll let you know if you're doing something wrong. But for now, just run the warm-up. And I was like, okay, we'll start with the warm-up. <laughs> but uh, sometimes that's never, like you get a job and there's, you got, get some athletes that have done this for so long and they were at the best of their career at some point. It's just like, let me, let me just ask them. Yeah. I'm the professional, yeah. but let me go seek help. So be vulnerable, be okay with asking for help. Brilliant advice. And then just thinking about players like Robbie Keane, in terms of traits um, for those top players or players that you really love working with, players that you're able to make a, a real impact with, is there anything that stra- stands out from a player's point of view? Yeah, I would say... Uh, this probably changes, honestly, on a month-to-month basis based off of what you're working with or kind of what you're filling out. But um, the athletes that kind of bring an intensity to training every single day, I think those are the athletes that people die to get. It's not just, you know, are you a good person, which is really important, or uh, do you like to be around this person? But it's somebody that pushes the level of training day in, day out in the weight room. They're pushing the level of training. They just want to get better. Because I can tell you that much, you know, in the weight room, we can get you as strong as you want. But if you're on the pitch in a training session and you are not pushing your intensity, you're just kind of coasting and saving it for the game, which some athletes might do. 
but you're not, you know, you're not preparing yourself for that match because the match is going to be at a certain intensity. Or maybe you can't get to that intensity of the match because training and, you know, so on and so forth. I think, I think about athletes, like an athlete that I looked up to when I was a kid was Kobe Bryant. And you'd hear these stories how in training, like he might've been kind of a jerk, but he was pushing his teammates. So now not just himself, but he was pushing his teammates to train at a higher and higher intensity, whatever that means in your sport. So when you get athletes like that, and yeah, Kino was one of those athletes, as a coach as well, you're like, okay, in his craft, he's doing this. So how can I push my intensity when I'm not on the pitch and I'm trying to learn when I'm trying to program to become better? For me, those are athletes that are really exciting because uh, not only they kind of scare me a little bit with their intensity, but it's, it's also like it's, I don't think it's as common as people think when you see true intensity and it brings out a leadership in athletes where your teammates are like, okay, there's the level. That's what I got to get to today. Yeah, incredible. Brilliant, mate. It's been some top stuff in this one. Um, I know we mentioned before, like about if people want to reach out, have conversations. I know, I know you'd be happy to sort of speak to people um, if they're willing to have conversations. Where would you direct people? Where's, where's the best place for people to drop me a message or get in touch? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram is the same handle for me, Daniel P. Guzman. Uh, you can find me there. You know, the benefit of LA is that you're in the car a lot, you're commuting. So, uh, I'm taking calls all the time. Uh, if I didn't get you the past few months, I apologize, but, uh, we can always find a time of the afternoon when I'm sitting in the car watching some red lights in front of me at about five miles an hour. <laughs> so let's have a chat, but those two, uh, avenues work really well. Incredible, mate. Well, I really appreciate you getting up early, coming on the podcast, being so open and honest. It's been brilliant to chat. Um, and I knew it would be, and that's why I wanted to get you on for so long. So I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much. Anyone that listens, truly, if you can like, mention Ben's podcast, the people that do this job, which is volunteer, and they're just putting on information, uh, I know it does mean a lot when you leave a good review and you can retweet it, and whatever it means, give exposure. That's how you can kind of say thank you to Ben. So just for me to Ben, thank you. Um, yeah, I hope this gave a lot of value to your listeners. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. This was one of those podcasts that I feel like it could have gone on for hours. <laughs> Absolute hours. And it, if Daniel lived in the UK, definitely be someone I'd be hitting up all the time to meet for a coffee. Um, because I just feel like there's so much to take away from him, um, his experiences, the, the way he puts things across. I think there's so much to take away from the way he speaks. And I really appreciate him giving up his time. He's been so kind in giving up his time. Um, and there was some great stuff, I feel, in this podcast as well. Takeaways from me. I've got a, a load of them, um, to be honest. A, a, a massive list of takeaways from this episode. But I'll try and narrow it down. Um Early on in the in the podcast, we spoke about obviously the differences between working in, on the international level and club level. He spoke about club coaches sometimes feeling th uh, threatened and taking the shared responsibility of improving that player. And I thought it was great to get the perspective of both sides on that. Um, obviously, Daniel's got experience from both sides. Um, just to say that to keep the player's interests at heart. We want to try and improve the player, but obviously the club coaches spend the most amount of time with them and we've got to understand that at that international level as well. Um, he spoke about paralysis by analysis. 
And this was, we, we then touched on using networks, using your circle to delve into having conversations with coaches when this comes up, because I'm sure it's something that many, many coaches have experienced at some way um, or some time in their careers. And then when players are questioning things, when they're coming with questions or we, we touched on like recent documentaries or may, might be research coming out or maybe articles or whatever it is, working back to the why. And Daniel talked around the process that he takes with players in terms of just basically asking them questions, getting them to talk through the reasons why they want to do whatever they do. They want to do. Um, and because they have a lot of the answers, don't they? And, and in, I know he mentioned in the podcast, like learning from some of the players that he'd worked with, he referenced Robbie Keane. Um, but the, the, we players know a lot and sometimes all it takes is a bit of a conversation to bring out some of that knowledge as well. Um, he spoke about social media. I wanted to speak to him about social media because I think it's um, a platform that we possibly use in the wrong way. And he spoke about it being misunderstood, but also abused. And I think that's a great phrase for it. Um, I think a lot of people misunderstand what we tread the message that people are trying to get across. Obviously, there's limits on characters and all that sort of stuff, but it is also abused. Um, I was telling Daniel before we, uh, or maybe after we started recording about joining the sort of boycott of social media and realising how much time I actually spend on my phone going onto the apps. And it's just ridiculous because a lot of the time you don't need to spend that time on there. So it's just making the most of the time that you do spend on there and taking the advice that Daniel went into around posting as well, around trying to um, give out a good positive message. There are sometimes people that are going to try and bring you down or question things just for um, their own sake and just to get into arguments. But he gave some great advice on um, getting into communication with them. But if, if it doesn't go the right way or get into a healthy conversation, then stepping back as well. And then just the last few, we spoke about the board of the directors for youth athletes or athletes in general, which I think is a really good conversation to have. Um, watching the game, going back to actually watching the game and working back from there. So again, when you're going into that state of sort of paralysis by analysis, watching the game and working back and trying to figure out what it is you need to do with your players. And then just the final one, which I didn't have down to speak about, but I love the fact that he brought it up, was the managing finances. Something that um, I think coaches are scared to talk about a lot of the time. But he made a great point, and we talk a lot about finances, about the um, salaries in certain jobs. But coaches learning how to manage finances more and I'm no expert in this whatsoever um, and I know Daniel won't won't say that he's an expert either but I know it's something that he's researched a lot and read a lot around and I do think it's an important thing for coaches to consider so they were my takeaways absolutely loads in this one I've, I've got a, a load of lists of, a, of more that I took away from the episode and the chat with him but this is one that I know people are going to take loads from, but I'd be really interested to see some of the main points that stand out for you. So please get in touch, whether you tweet us, whether you message us or repost on Instagram, whether you drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. However you do it, please reach out and let me know some of the biggest takeaways on this podcast because I'd be really interested to hear which parts of these podcasts you took the most from because like I said, we covered absolutely loads. So, so it'd be great to hear from you guys um, in terms of what you took the most from. 
Just finally, make sure that you head over to Twitter, Instagram, and go and give Daniel a follow at Daniel P. Guzman, G-U-Z-M-A-N. Go and give him a follow. He puts out some incredible work and I just want to thank him again for uh, being so kind, giving up his time um, and going through all the information he has in the podcast. But thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate everyone's listens and support and we'll speak to you again next week in uh, episode 138.